0: And so, uh, we have been uh, studying here in Exodus chapter 12, so let's take the Word of God this evening, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 12, and as you turn there, once you find your place in Exodus chapter 12, uh, if you want to put a finger over in Deuteronomy chapter 16, Deuteronomy chapter 16 and Exodus chapter 12, Uh, there are two aspects of this Passover and I'm including here um, the first portion of the chapter with the portion that we're going to study this evening, there are the days leading up to the Passover, which brings our focus on the Lamb. Uh, We saw that in the first part of the chapter. We talked about that last time. And then the Passover happens, right? The night of the Passover on the 14th day at even. But then there is an emphasis now tonight on the days following the Passover. Focus on unleavened bread. Uh, So as we look in our text, we won't read the first portion again. We'll read the second portion. The first portion is all about the lamb. After the Passover, the lamb is slain. The blood is sprinkled on the doorpost. After that, there is a seven-day feast of unleavened bread, and so the emphasis is on unleavened bread. Why would God place such an emphasis? I think we know why God placed an emphasis on the Lamb leading up to the Passover and the night of the Passover is slain and eaten and all that. That's a representation of Jesus Christ. But why such an emphasis Emphasis on unleavened bread? And so we're going to talk about that this evening. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. If you have your place in Exodus chapter 12 and you have your place later on in Deuteronomy chapter 16, we're going to read both of those as we are standing. And so Exodus chapter 12, notice with me, verse 11, we'll begin reading in verse 11 and read down to verse 20, Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it, the it refers back to the lamb that is to be slain, whose blood is to be put on the doorpost. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in, your, in haste, it is the Lord's Passover, so there, to eat that, all dressed up and ready to go, as we mentioned last time. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel." And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you, no manner of work shall be done in them save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in the self same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance. Forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations. Shall he eat unleavened bread? Hold your place here. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. We'll read the first three verses. Now, we remember the book of Deuteronomy, that generation that was led out of Egyptian bondage uh, did not enter into the land, and so God is going to bring them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and that generation is going to die coming a new generation comes, and now they need to be reminded of those things. Of what? Well, the feast of the Passover, which was implemented from the previous generation. And so, number 16, verse 1, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God, Of the flock of the herd, in the place which the Lord shall choose to place His name there, thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it, seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. I want to bring your attention here to the third verse in correlation with Exodus chapter 12. There are many names that are assigned to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, an ordinance, a memorial. We'll see that in just a moment. But here he gives us something that he does not give us in Exodus 12. And that is, what is this eating of unleavened bread? Why eat unleavened bread for seven days? And he says, even the bread of affliction. I want to preach this evening on uh, this thought, the unleavened bread of affliction. The unleavened bread of affliction. You may be seated. Our Father, we are grateful this evening as we come to your word, and I pray that you would give us understanding uh, concerning this feast of unleavened bread, uh, this unleavened bread of affliction. I pray that you would help us to draw the truths from this passage uh, that we might apply them to today in our lives and consider the things that you deem important, that we might consider those to be important as well. And so we thank you for your word, your divine revelation. Uh, May we uh, give ourselves to it and be faithful to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look in Exodus 12, as I mentioned before, our reading, there are, uh, now the chapter is quite lengthy. If you notice, it goes all the way to, uh, verse 51 verses. So we're still dealing here with the preliminaries. The Passover has not happened. This is God given, giving his instruction to Moses. After this portion, Moses is going to relay exactly what God says, and which is the next portion here that we have. But as God has given this instruction to Moses, there's two points of emphasis leading up to the Passover and after the Passover. And when I'm referring to the Passover, I know that this month that he's talking about is the month of the Passover, but the Passover is really one night. There is what leads up to the Passover, and there is also what follows the Passover. The Passover itself is that evening when Uh, The death angel passed over the houses, therefore it's called the Passover, because he would pass over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. And so leading up to the Passover, there is a strong emphasis on the Lamb. We know in the New Testament, the Bible says that Christ is our Passover. And so we study what the Word says about the Lamb, and we can see how this points us to Christ in the future. But after the Passover, we see that really the Passover, as soon as the lamb is slain, they are to eat, notice with me, verse 8, they shall eat the flesh in that night, that's after the lamb is slain, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And so the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread begins immediately after the lamb has been slain. And from the moment of the slaying of the Lamb, while the Passover is happening, they are to eat for seven days unleavened bread. And we, as we noted, there is a a great emphasis after that on eating unleavened bread. So that's where the focus is after the Passover. Before the Passover, the focus is on the Lamb. After the Passover, the focus is on uh, unleavened bread. Now let me give you here, before we... Uh, talk about this unleavened bread, I want to talk here about the timeline of this month. As we begin here in chapter 12, we noticed last week that the month Abib, in chapter 12 it is not called the month Abib, but it is called that in chapter 13 and verse 4. This day came ye out in the month Abib. And so we see here that this month is called the month Abib. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, he refers back to this exact same month. And we see that this month is to become the first month to them. Now here's the timeline of this month. In this month, according to verse 5 of chapter 12, the lamb, a lamb, was to be taken on the 10th day, according to verse 5. And so when the month begins, you have the first. First through the 10th, we're in this month, of Abib. On the 10th, a lamb is to be selected, what? For the slaying on the 14th day. This lamb, according to verse 6, was to be kept until the 14th day. And on the 14th day, according to verse 6, at even, in the evening the Lamb was to be slain on that 14th day. Then, and according to verse 8, the slaying of the Lamb would then begin a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. It is called in this passage the Feast of Unleavened Bread, both in verse 8 and also in verse 14. Uh, It is instructed here to eat unleavened bread. And so this feast, of unleavened bread would be observed from the fourteenth day all the way to the twenty-first day of the month. So it's important here. Sometimes we 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 might confuse things. We might think that um, uh, they're supposed to eat unleavened bread the whole month. No, that's not what it is. The seven day takes place from the uh, the seven day feast of unleavened bread takes place from the 14th day to the 21st day. Look at verse 18. In the first month, which is the month what? Abib? On the 14th day of the month at even. Now, that's the exact same time that they're supposed to slay the lamb at even. Ye shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. So here's the timeline. In this first month, new calendar for uh, the children of Israel. On the tenth day, select the lamb. Keep the lamb for five days. On the fourteenth day, at even, slay the lamb. After you slay the lamb, you begin the feast of unleavened bread. And so for seven day, from the fourteenth day to the twenty-first day, you are to eat unleavened bread. And furthermore, there ought to be no leaven. In your houses. I believe it's important to consider the timeline because the feast of unleavened bread is not to be observed until after the lamb has been slain. Now, the same timeline, I won't go there for sake of time, but the same timeline is given Deuteronomy chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 23. This is repeated. I was trying to look throughout the entirety of the Bible. There are only a handful of times, two handful of times that actually the Feast of the Passover is observed in the Bible, that is actually recorded. It's not that many times, although chapter 12 tells us that this is, is supposed to be observed year by year. Every year they were to observe the Feast of the Passover. Now, as we look here, this is the timeline here of what happens during the Passover, leading up to the Passover, and after the Passover. Now, the Lord's Passover here in the month Abib has the various names throughout this record. And I think it's interesting for us to look at those terminology and to try to think about what that means. For example, in verse 14, notice what this is called. And this day shall be unto you a, what's the word? A memorial. And ye shall keep it, notice, a feast. So the idea of a memorial is a record, something to memorialize, is is that how how to say that? Memorial, oh, I see, I I, I said it right the first time. I won't say it again. The the idea of a feast is basically uh, the observance of a special occasion. That's what a feast is. It is also called, notice, uh, ye shall, verse 14, ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance. And here, the idea of ordinance is uh, a custom. Observe things in a customary way, uh, something that is to be repeated as an ordinance. Notice verse seventeen: and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in the self same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So verse seventeen, it is referred to as the feast of unleavened bread and also as an ordinance. Again, in verse 24, a little later, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee, to thy sons forever. Again, it is referred to as an ordinance. And then lastly, in verse 43, Notice the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall be no stranger eat thereof. And so the Lord's Passover here has many names. For example, what would happen after the observance of the Passover is referred to as a memorial. It is referred to as a feast. It is referred to as a feast by an ordinance. It is referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, About three times throughout this chapter, it is referred to as an ordinance, and it is also referred to as the ordinance of the Passover. So many titles which convey to us the significance and the importance of this moment, that they are to memorialize this event, they are to hold a feast and commemorate it, they are to uh, customarily do this over and over and over again so that what happens, so that nobody forgets what God did on the night of the Passover. And so God is spending a lot of time. This chapter is all about the Passover. And so the Lord is spending a lot of time to give us this record, not only what God said to Moses, but then what Moses told the people of Israel, and then the people of Israel implementing what God said, and then the death of the firstborn, and then going out. That's all in chapter 12. And so God places a great emphasis in on this particular time As we look again in this chapter, for sake of emphasis, we we have to ask ourselves, there there seems to be an emphasis on the idea of leaven and unleavened bread. Uh, How many times is that mentioned in this chapter? Well, as far as I could count from what we read from, let's say, take verse 1 to verse 20, unleavened bread or leaven is referred to, mentioned 10 times in this chapter. Only once before the Lamb is slain before the night of the Passover, nine times after that, from uh, I guess you could say verse eleven down to verse twenty, and so God places an emphasis here on leaven, take out the old uh, the, the the leaven um, do not eat, leaven bread, the bread that you must eat must be unleavened, and it was not only in the bread but also. In your houses there ought to be no leaven found in the houses. So we ask ourselves here, what is leaven? That's a good question. Um, In our contemporary usage, we might say yeast. But it is basically a mass of sourdough, which if mixed with a larger quantity of dough or paste, produces a fermentation in it, which renders it light. Uh, We like, we put that in bread. Why? And the bread rises. Okay, we put yeast in the bread, and so the whole bread rises, and then we put it in the oven, and the best time to eat bread is right when it comes out of the oven. Amen? And so the idea here is it's something that is mixed in, uh, that causes fermentation, that makes the bread light, uh, renders it light. Uh, generally, as we think about leaven, however, generally it is anything that makes a change in mass. It generally means something which corrupts or depraves that, that which it is mixed with. Now, when you uh, think about the reference in Deuteronomy chapter 16, if you still have your, your finger there, he tells them as he's bringing back the feast of unleavened bread, he mentions this, Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewin, uh, therewith, even the bread of affliction. Even the bread of affliction. Now, why would he call it here? There's a, an indication that we have that this a bread uh, that, that this unleavened bread, what does it represent? Well, the book of Deuteronomy tells us it is the unleavened bread, the bread that is without yeast, without leaven, is the bread of affliction. You see, the bread being baked without leaven would be compared to leavened bread; it would be unsavory. Uh, they would therefore be reminded by eating the unleavened bread of the unpleasant affliction of their Egyptian bondage. It is the bread of affliction. Deuteronomy, again, chapter 16, verse 3, For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou comest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And so the idea is, now by the way, uh, the Israelites would typically eat bread, leavened bread. They would enjoy leavened bread. We also enjoy leavened bread today. Uh, The bread that is flavorful, the bread that rises, the bread that is light and not dense. We we like that. But there are to remember the bread of affliction. It's interesting because when we think about Egyptian bondage, this would be uh, remember your affliction and Egyptian bondage. But it is not only the affliction of their bondage that we remember. It is also the fact that many of the children of Israel had been worshiping the gods of the Egyptians as well. And in their bondage, they had turned to false gods. And God had appealed to them when he uh, says to them, Now, when the night of the Passover comes, I want you to make sure that you get rid of all the leaven in your house, and you're only going to eat for seven days unleavened bread. Why? Because you need to remember that on this night when I'm going to bring you out of the bondage, the bondage that I'm bringing you out of is a bondage of affliction. It is a bondage that you don't want to remain in. It is a bondage where you uh, turn to false gods. So the leaven in general here, we think about leaven in the general sense actually is representative generally of a moral influence. And by the way, that can be a good influence or a bad influence. The majority of the time, however, it is used in the Word of God. It is used in a negative sense. But at least once, it is used positively by Jesus Christ when He said, gave a parable in Luke chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus said this, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took in uh, and hid three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. In that particular case, Jesus Christ is talking about, it's a parable of the kingdom, and he's talking about the growth of the kingdom in our own lives. And so he likens the kingdom here to leaven. And so in that sense, it is used positively. But most of the time in the word of God, it is used in the negative sense, and here's why it is used in the negative sense because of what leaven does. What does it do? Well, the if we think about what it does is that leaven is a substance that when put into the bread influences it is an outward influence we think about leaven it is also it all it is not only just an outward influence but it also has uh, inward an inward operation once it is joined to the bread it operates within the lump of bread uh, then we know that when leaven is is uh, has an inward operation uh, we see that there is a progressive spread of the leaven throughout the entire lump. And we also know that when the leaven is added to the bread, that the leaven has a transforming power, and it transforms the bread, unleavened bread, into leavened bread, which is a completely different type of bread. And finally, we know that leaven finally overtakes the bread. So here in Exodus chapter 12, he says, purge out the old leaven. Notice the references. In verse 8 of Exodus chapter 12, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, the flesh of the lamb that was slain. Roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And so that night, after the lamb is slain, they are to eat unleavened bread. Notice down in verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread, from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And so here, uh, they're going to eat, they're commanded to eat unleavened bread. They're to, uh, and when he refers here to the first day, ye shall put away leaven, he's not talking about the first day of the month. He's talking about the first day after the Passover, So on the first day, put away leaven out of your houses. So it is not only that you should not add leaven to the bread, but you should not have the temptation in your house to add leaven to the bread. Just get rid of all of it for seven days. Notice verse 17. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this self same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Again, verse 19. Seven days shall, uh, shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Notice verse 20. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. So it's not just the bread. It's everything. Nothing leavened. In your habitation shall ye eat unleavened bread. Why such an emphasis. Well, uh, there is an idea here that he is communicating something to them. He is trying to show them something that, uh, is it wrong in itself to eat leavened bread? No, they would do that. Most of the time, actually most of the time when they would break bread, they would eat bread with leaven, leavened bread. But on this particular occasion, After, on the night of the Passover, after the lamb has been slain, they are to get rid of all the leaven in their houses, and they are not to add leaven to the the bread. And so the emphasis here is on purging out, cleaning out everything that can be an influence on the bread. It is a corrupting influence. What are we what is being communicated to the children of Israel? If we go through many of the references throughout the Old Testament, we would find that this is demanded of them repeatedly. Although it is not necessarily likened to leaven, it is, they are told to uh, seek for cleansing to cleanse themselves, uh, to be clean before God, to prepare themselves uh, for the Lord uh, in the occasion when later in Exodus chapter 20, when God is about to give them the law, they are to cleanse themselves and they're to uh, take everything unclean and cleanse themselves before uh, God speaks. And so the children of Israel who know how leaven operates is communicating to us here the influence that had happened in their lives from being in the land of Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, remember when Moses came, they rejected God's deliverer. Uh, When Moses comes on the scene, uh, remember when uh, things got a little hard, they accused Moses of trying to uh, get them killed. Uh, We know that later in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible talks about uh, that God called the children of Israel to leave their idols and their worship of idols. We know how prevalent it was in their among them, because later when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he doesn't come down in their time when they think he ought to come, uh, they, uh, they carve a golden calf and then Aaron stands and he says to the people, these are the gods that have brought you out of Egyptian bondage. The influence is there. And so after the lamb has been slain, he says, purge out all that, uh, all the leaven, the influence in your life. Uh, there is a picture there, although they're doing this physically, it communicates something for them. Now, in the New Testament, as we think about these references, these are physical references. In other words, the children of Israel were literally going to do that. They were literally going to observe the feast of the Passover. So the husband will come to the wife and says, if you have any leaven in the kitchen stored somewhere, you need to get rid of it. Make sure in the next seven days when we eat bread, there's no leaven. We need to get rid of it. It is a sign of corruption, and so we don't want any of that. But if you notice, the feast of unleavened bread would be um, would begin immediately upon the slaying of the lamb. You see. Remember that if the children of Israel had not sprinkled blood on the doorpost, the firstborn in the houses would have died. The command in chapter 11 was that if any home, whether Egyptian or Israelite, if any home does not have blood sprinkled on the doorpost, the firstborn in that household will die without its exception. And so upon this night, uh, they know that God, who is a judge, who has the power to judge, understand, the judgment was upon the entirety of the land. It was not just upon the Egyptians, it was also upon the Israelites, who had given themselves to idolatry and to all kinds of sin and vice. And so he tells them that there there has to be something that happens on the the evening that you the lamb is slain. That in that evening, when you recognize that you deserve the judgment and the wrath of God and the death that God will will inflict upon you, when he sees the blood, he will pass over you, and then your. Your, the mercy that has been demonstrated to, to you, uh, the moment that you see that uh, the death angel passes over you and that you are saved and that you, there is no harm that has, concom- that has come to you, I, I want you to think about the leaven in your houses and I want you to purge out all that leaven. That there, that there be nothing corrupt in your household. I think that there is no doubt the physical aspect, but there is something spiritual that he's communicating. Now, I think when we come to the New Testament, it becomes very clear to us. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians and chapter 5. So we come here to New Testament times. Uh, the church at Corinth was, uh, Paul was not afraid to call them out for what they were. He, he says, ye are carnal. That's what he says. In First Corinthians chapter five, notice with me verse one. It is reported commonly that there be fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that ye have done uh, that, ye, that he have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day that the Lord, uh, of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump? Now, the context here is talking about the church, the life of the church, the local church at Corinth. And he's writing to them, and they had allowed uh, for sin in the church to go, and whoever the leadership was, they had not dealt with it according to what God desires that somebody who walks disorderly or who walks in sin should be cut off from the congregation should be separated from the congregation if they continue and abide in unrepentant sin. And he basically says to them, don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? What are you saying here? There, If there is a little sin in the church, it's going to corrupt the entirety of the church. And he gives them that evidence, he said, because it was not only that those who had sinned had gone to be unrepentant, but the people in the church had refused to deal with it. See, they had become corrupt, not necessarily for participating in the sin, but for being okay with the sin. The sin didn't bother them. You know, we we live in a society today that, that is very easy for us to live with sin all around us and have sin not bother us and us be content because we are not the ones that are committing the sin and we learn to live with its influence around us and we uh, we learn to dabble with it and to be content with it and to uh, and to fellowship with it and here he says don't you know that a little leaven leaven is the whole don't you know that a little influence of sin and wickedness in your life will corrupt you and so he says this in verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven. What's the old leaven? The corrupting influence. Purge it out. That ye may be a new lump. New bread. What type of bread is that if there is no longer any leaven in it? It's unleavened bread. Uncorrupted bread. And notice what he says to them. As ye are unleavened. You see, positionally in Christ, you are unleavened. You are sanctified. You are declared holy. You have the imputed righteousness of Christ. But yet there is still the corrupting influence of sin that can come and leaven the entire lump. So purge it out. Cleanse yourselves from the old leaven so that you may be a new lump because you are unleavened. He says, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so here is what he does here. Now, what's the Passover? That night the lamb was slain, and the moment the lamb was slain, they were to begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread, purge out all the leaven out of their houses, and observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This ordinance, this memorial, Notice what he says to these believers who are familiar with this. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the feast. The Jewish feast? No. Christ is our Passover. What are we keeping? Not with the old leaven. Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so he says, notice he says, therefore keep the feast. Now, there's two ways you can observe the feast of the Passover. Jesus is our Passover. And there's two ways that as we think about the Old Testament times, there's two ways that the children of Israel could observe the feast of the Passover. Option one is they could observe the feast of the Passover with leavened bread with having leaven in their houses, or they could look into their houses, and they could purge out all the leaven out of their houses, and they could, uh, you know, they could, uh, they could observe the feast of unleavened bread with unleavened bread. And so there's two ways to observe the feast, either with leavened bread or with unleavened bread. And so he says to them, keep the feast. Now, not in the literal sense of the Jews... Uh, Not with the old leaven. And what's the old leaven? The corrupted leaven. He says, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, in the church, obviously, there were those who were members who were uh, caught in sin, and that was uh, the leaven of malice and wickedness, and they had, uh, been, uh, they had been okay with that. Uh, they had not reproved it. Uh, they probably thought to themselves, well, I'm not really involved in it, and so therefore, we're good. And he says, you have to purge out the old leaven of what? Of malice and wickedness. He had just said, Christ, our Passover, Observe the feast. So in the same way that the Jews observed the feast after the lamb was slain, they had to take all the leaven out of their houses. And in the same way, us as Christians, when we look to Christ, who is our Passover, in the same way, we who have a permanent feast because we are in Christ, who is our Passover, then we should be constantly purging out the old leaven of what? Of malice and wickedness. All that is bad in our lives... Should be purged out. And so observe, we are to observe the feast. And when we are observing the feast, we should not be observing the feast of what? Of Jesus being our Passover with leavened bread, with sin in us. With us dabbling with sin. With us being okay with, with sin. We should observe the feast because Christ is our Passover with what? With the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Purging in our lives only takes place when there is sincerity and truth. There's two ways to live our lives when Christ is our Passover. We can live our lives observing the feast of Leaven bread, which we ought not to do. Or we can say, because Christ is our Passover, therefore we observe the feast of unleavened bread. What does that mean? We live in sincerity and in truth. So what does that say to us as believers is that there should be a constant purging in our lives of what? Of all the leaven, the corrupting influence that is in our life. Now remember what leaven represents. He basically tells them when he says, purge out the old leaven. Well, remember what leaven is? He says, beware of the outward influence of sin. Uh, beware of the inward operation of sin in your life. How when you allow, you're content with sin, you dwell with sin, that it begins to corrupt you on the inside. You don't even realize it. You're, sometimes the, the thing about uh, leaven bread is you don't see its operation in you. It's just there, and inside of you, when it is inside of you, it begins to uh, have an, an inward operation. And then he says, beware of its progressive spread, how it spreads in your life, and you don't even realize it. And beware of also of its transforming power in your life. What I'm saying to you is along the line, somewhere along the line... The believers in the church, uh, there had to be a man and a woman who sinned with one another and who lived and continued to go to church unrepentant before God. And somewhere along the line, the members of the church who became aware of the sin became content to dwell with the sin. They didn't even realize how corrupt they had gotten and how the influence of sin had basically transformed their perspective and their outlook on sin itself. That's why he says, Jesus who is our Passover, well, who is Jesus Christ? Well, God hath made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know Jesus Christ who is our Passover? If He died for our sins, we should observe the feast, not of leavened bread, but of unleavened bread. Sincerity and truth. Beware of its overtaking control of your life. I think he uses leaven as an example because of its quick, subtle, progressive, transforming, and overtaking power. We don't even see it happening sometimes. Now in the second letter, Paul commends them for getting some things right. No doubt this must have been a, a grave confrontation. You know, the moment that we allow a little bit of sin and become okay with a little bit of sin in our lives, we find a corrupting influence, and we find even more sin developing in our lives and other areas of our lives. Why? Because it's just like leaven. Jesus himself says, a little leaven, just a little bit, a little bit of what? A little bit of corrupting influence, a little bit of sin. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. The whole lump eventually becomes corrupt. Therefore, it must be purged. We should not be, what happens? We should not be conformed to the world. We should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, instead of having the influence of sin in our lives, we should have the influence of the Spirit in our lives. And the Spirit should be the leaven, not sin. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews places a a lot of emphasis around the the feast and the sacrifices and so on. And in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, notice reading in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. The Bible says here, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never by those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, I think here he's pretty vague, and he, there, were, there were a lot of different feasts, a lot of different sacrifices, a lot of things going on in the nation of Israel, and so he is a uh, uh, speaking broadly about all the sacrifices that they were continually offered. And we could go, we're not going to go there for sake of time, and study every different type of sacrifice the children of Israel offered. Uh, but notice here, they, the, none of those sacrifices made anyone perfect. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Do you understand here? When we look at the Old Testament, we think about the feast of the Passover. What does he say? What's the sacrifice of that lamb? What are they remembering? When God says, I want you to observe the feast of unleavened bread. I want you to observe the ordinance of unleavened bread i want you to memorialize this a moment why because what they would do is when they would think about that they would always remember again every year uh, time and time again what their sin a lamb has to die the blood has to be shed uh, the blood has to cover And we have to do this over and over and over again. And so every time those sacrifices were done, it was a remembrance of sin every year. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Why did they do that? They did that so that they could remember their sin every year. They didn't do that because it took away their sins. They could not take away their sins. They did that to remember their sins. Notice verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will of God. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. See, Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Why? Because all that people did up to this point, when they offered their sacrifices, when they observed the feast, they would always look back again and again at their sin. But then Christ Jesus shows up. He comes in the fullness of time, verse 8, above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burn offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said He, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he might establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. (laughs) And every priest, verse 11, standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What were the sacrifices and feasts a remembrance of? It was a remembrance of sin. But when Christ comes, There is no more offering for sin. There is no remembrance of sin again. Verse 19, having therefore brethren, this is what we have because of Christ, because of the new position we have, because now we we don't look back and we don't year after year after year, we don't remember our sin. We remember Christ. And it's because of that, having therefore, verse 19, Brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, here it is, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We could read the rest of the chapter, but the point he's saying, you see what he says is, all those sacrifices and the feasts, you have to remember time and time again. Uh, Notice he says, verse 3, in those sacrifices there is a remembrance of sin. That word remembrance is only used three other times in the New Testament. In this case, in Hebrews 10, verse 3, there is a remembrance made of sin every year. But turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Notice with me verse 19. And he, Luke twenty-two nineteen, and he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me remembrance of me. When Paul gives this admonition to the church at Corinth, a little later, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Remember in, in chapter 5, he says, uh, purge out the old leaven. In 1 Corinthians 11, notice with me verse <clears throat> Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So the word remembrance here—that word is used four times in the Old Testament. The one time in Hebrews eleven, he says, when uh, we're talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, when those sacrifices were offered year after year after year, it was always a memorial. It was always a ceremony. It was always an ordinance to what—to remember sin and to remember how we deserve the judgment of God. And so, therefore, they should purge out the eleven. But now that we are in Christ, we also have a moment where we remember we also keep an ordinance we also if you would in the spiritual sense we keep a feast but again we don't as believers as new testament believers we don't uh, go back and partake in the lord's supper and partake in communion to go back and to remember our sin when we partake communion we remember christ who is sufficient to wash away all of our sin. And the moment that we begin to purge out the old leaven is the moment that we make Christ our Passover. Why? Because of all of our sins has been forgiven. It's under the blood. It's gone. Never to be remembered again because Jesus Christ satisfied the demands of a holy God. And so there is no more need for any sacrifice. There is no more need to remember our sin. And so therefore, because we are unleavened, we should purge out all the leaven in our lives. First Corinthians 5, Christ is our Passover. We remember Him. So in Exodus 12, the Israelites would grab the lamb, they would keep it for five days. On day 14, at even, they would go by on the doorstep of their houses. I don't want to be too graphic, but they would slit the throat of the lamb. And the blood would fall on the doorstep. And then they would have to take that blood that was gushing out of the lamb. And they'd have to sprinkle it on the doorpost, the two side posts and the top. And then from that moment on, when the judgment of God passes over them, God says, now, you must remember and and, and think about that moment that the lamb that was slain for you has allowed you to go free and not to come under the condemnation and the judgment of God. And so purge out all corrupting influence in your lives. Remove idolatry and the comforts of Egypt and uh, purge all these things out And you're going to do that for seven days. Why? Because you need to remember. Remember, remember what? Deuteronomy 16, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the unleavened bread of affliction. The bondage that they were in was not pleasant, they were mistreated. Uh, they were uh, treated as slaves and they were uh, used and, and misused and being and their affliction according to Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 was great and God saw the great affliction that they had and He wants us to remember the unleavened bread of affliction. He wants to remember and the, the Egyptian bondage is a, is a picture of the bondage of sin in which we were in. How we were, as the New Testament puts it, how we were slaves to sin how we were in bondage to sin, but through Christ we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death, according to Romans chapter 6. And so when we remember Christ, uh, we get to the place where we we think about Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. He, Christ, He is our Passover, and Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life uh, in order that He might offer Himself as a sacrifice for sin and Jesus Christ was taken in the hands of men. Now, we know it was the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. But God allowed men to take them in their sinful hands and to shed the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only reason why we are not judged for our sins is because of Christ. So, we, we don't remember our sin. That's the wonderful thing. But we do remember that Christ was made sin for us. If Christ was made sin for us, if Christ is our Passover, what, what do we understand? We understand in that moment that God judges sin. That's what we understand. We think about Christ, our Passover. We don't. The attitude of the Christian is not, oh, I got away with it. God somehow did not judge my sin. Oh, no. Christ did judge your sin. He judged your sin in the person of Christ. And he says, now that your sin has been judged in the person of Christ, why would you want to live in sin? Why would you want to continue in disobedience to God? Why would you allow uh, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to continue uh, being unmolested in this world? Why Jesus Christ is your Passover? Why would you continue to live in such sin and wickedness and malice? What God wants is the the unleavened of, of sincerity and truth. That's all that God wants from us. Sincerity and truth. Not us walking around and saying, well, I'm forgiven, so. God overlooks my sin. No, you know, when Jesus Christ died, he, as we stand here today and sit here today, Christ not only died for our past sins and our sins of the moment, but He also died for all of our future sins. And every sin, whether it is past or present or future, has all an affront to God. All of it is. And the desire of the man who's been redeemed by the Spirit of God who knows that crisis has passed over, the great desire in that life ought to be, oh God, I don't want any sin. All the pain and the wrath that you suffered is because of me. And I don't want to grieve a God who loves me like that. I want to purge out all the sin in my life. If you live a holy life and somebody looks at you and says, Man, you're you're strange and you're weird. You live a little different. Why don't you do this and say this and talk like this and act like this? I hope the response of a believer is not, a true believer is not, it's just, well, I'm that great. Look at me, I'm just wonderful. The reason why I want to live a holy life and please God, the reason why I don't go to certain places and don't talk a certain way and don't live a certain way and don't act a certain way is because I want to please God. That, that's the motivation. The one who has taken away all my sin, although I am unworthy, I want to please that same God who loved me like this. And so I'm not constrained by any uh, idea that I am better than you. I am constrained by the great love of God. And so that's why I live the way I live. And so the moment that there is any sin in my life, I want to get it right. Could I make a practical application? I'm asking you permission, but I'm going to do it anyways. Fathers, You blow up on your children. You have a moment of anger when you become out of control. That is sin, and it's a bad example to your children. When that happens, don't be okay with it. Go to a private place. Get on your hands and knees before God. Say, God, forgive me for my anger and my wickedness and purge the leaven of malice and wickedness out of my life. Mothers, you become frustrated and you're bitter because somebody said something to you, or you think that your children are not grateful for the work that you do, and you begin to develop bitterness in you. That bitterness is sin. And when there's any bitterness and resentment for your children and for other people, Uh, Find a place away from everything and come in your face before God and say, God, there's bitterness in my life and I need to receive cleansing. I need to purge out the leaven of bitterness in my life. And God will cleanse you. Children, you disobey your parents. Children, look up here. You disobey your parents. When you disobey your parents, you're violating the, the law of God. And when you do that, you shall only apologize and go to your parents and say that you were wrong for disobeying them, but you should find a place alone and say, God, I've disobeyed my parents, and I want to seek cleansing and purging from my wickedness. And I want to do what is right. I could go on and on in application. The point I'm trying to make is don't Live your life with sin. If God can give you cleansing, why would you not seek it? You are unleavened. You are clean. You are sanctified. You are positionally righteous in Christ. And if you confess your sins, God says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would we not want the cleansing that he provides? Purge out the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. The feast of unleavened bread is predicated on the sacrifice of the lamb. And so for us, a desire to live a clean and holy life before God is predicated on Christ being our Passover. If you want the power of God in your life, you have to purge out the old leaven.